0: All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Happy, happy new year. I'm kicking off the new year with an episode that you're going to love. I'm interviewing Dan Mulder, a paralegal manager I've known for years. During the COVID shutdown, he wrote a book. And as soon as I read it last year, I knew I had to have him on the podcast. You're going to get some great takeaways from the episode, our actionable strategies that we'd like to walk away with. As you're listening to Dan describe these eight characters from his book, ask yourself if you might be one of them and how you could change that mindset going into this new year. All right, let's jump right in and talk to Dan Mulder about his book, The Lunch, How to Manage You, a leadership book for the rest of us. Well, hello, this is Ann Pearson, and I'm excited to have my guest today, Dan Mulder, Dan is the author of the book titled The Lunch, How to Manage You, a leadership book for the rest of us. Dan is currently the project manager and paralegal manager at Butler Snow in their Ridgeland, Mississippi office. He has a degree in political science from Mississippi College. He's a certified project management professional, PMP. Dan is also the co-chair of the Southeast Chapter of the International Practice Management Association, the IPMA. He lives in Clinton, Mississippi with his wife and four kids. Hi, Dan. I'm so excited to have you as my guest today.
1: Hey, Ann. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you. So, first, I want to congratulate you on the book. I'm going to put a Thanks. link to it in the show notes for everyone. And I really highly recommend that everyone listening to this podcast get a copy of this book. The subtitle on the back of the book is so true and it caught me. It says, get unstuck in life and work. I have to tell you, I really enjoyed this book because I thought it was gonna be sort of a self-help leadership kind of book, which I, I do read those, but it was an actual story with characters in it in a surprising ending. So Dan, it's April, 2020, and all of us are binge watching Netflix and you put the lockdown time to good use and wrote a book. What was your motivation to write that book?
1: Well, that goes back a little further. Um, probably several years before that, I had a job that I really enjoyed and at some point just became unhappy, became miserable in, in what I was doing. And uh, somewhere along the way, found myself uh, unemployed and, and I was let go. And I had a wife and three kids to support. And looking back now, being let go was the best thing that ever happened to me because it let me think about, it gave me time to think about why I was miserable and what I was doing that caused me to be so unhappy. And so I learned lessons I felt that I wanted to share with others. And so as I talked to others, I learned that they were having the same struggles I had they were unhappy just as I was. And I wanted to share that, but it took me until April of 2020 to finally have the opportunity to sit down. And the world was just in an unhappy place at that time. And I wanted to give back. And I felt that, uh, rather than binge watch or binge eat, which I did all of these things too. Um, I just woke up a little bit earlier and started writing. I had no idea what was going to come out of it, but a year and a half later, I published The Lunch.
0: Wow. I love that. So it wasn't a planned thing where you'd always wanted to write a book or be an author?
1: No, I, I never. Well, I mean, everyone says they want to write a book. Now that I've written one, I think everyone has some book idea. I never had an idea. And so, no, it was never a plan to do that. But I just started writing and I just kept going with it, and as a, every time I wanted to stop, I reminded myself what the book was about, not getting out of my own way, getting unstuck, and, and really wanting to share that story with all the readers.
0: Well, in the book, there's this annual company lunch, and the manager identifies these eight mindsets that people at the lunch might have that's holding them back, either in their life or at work and I'd like to talk about those mindsets. The first one is the groupie. Can you tell me about the groupie?
1: Yeah, well, and and we all probably know groupies, but the groupies like to tie themselves or associate themselves with others who may be more successful, more um, socially elevated, more well-known, more maybe wealthier, And, and there's nothing wrong inherently with wanting to learn from someone who has more experience, learn from someone who's doing what you want to do. There's there's value in mentor and mentee relationships. The limiting mindset for the groupie is that is the end in itself, is being associated with that person. The groupie somewhere deep down feels that maybe success isn't for them, but they can, maybe if they ride the wave of someone else's success or ride, yeah, ride their coattails then a little bit of that may uh, sprinkle off onto them, or it, they may feel some validation from someone else's success. And again, there's nothing wrong with so- associating yourself with someone who's riding that wave and great for them. But to think that 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 is not for you and that is only for them, and and not bring your full self, your full value to everything you're doing, uh, is limiting.
0: I like that, and I I do know. People like that. And it's probably does hold them back because they never strive to get that other level that they're hanging around or associating themselves with these other people.
1: Right. There's something to be, you know, name people like to name drop. They like to say, oh, whose number do I have in my phone? But that is not bringing what they have to offer to the firm or client or customer.
0: All right, so next is the box checker. That one was a little different than I expected. Can you tell us about the box check- am oh, sorry. <laughs> Can you tell us about the box
1: checker? Yes. And the box checker is, I I was a box checker one time, and a box checker really needs a clear path laid out for them maybe in their job at work or in any area. They need something they they need to know what good is. They need instruction. And In the work world, that's not a bad thing necessarily. We all need to know how to do our job. We need to know what's expected of us. But the box checker is unwilling to go beyond that, whether it be fear of failure, fear of of not doing the right thing or not, not being seen as doing the right thing, and become very dependent upon what is explicitly or specifically written out or stated for them to complete. And that's limiting when you know, all everyone at some point in a career is going to maybe outgrow the position. Uh, and it becomes very frustrating when the box checker is meeting expectations, but not getting additional rewards at, and, and expecting more rewards than what the boxes are limiting them to. The point that I try to make in the book, or the goal is, all successful Business people, or politicians, or even athletes—everyone talks about them as thinking outside of the box. They're outside of the box people, and I don't recommend going outside of the box necessarily because sometimes that can be risky, especially the legal support role. But I I do recommend maybe going beyond the box, thinking of why we have to do what, why we have the boxes that we have, why we are doing what we do. And connecting to something just beyond the box. Because staying being a box checker really can become frustrating uh, and limiting for particular employees, like I've said, when they are not achieving at some point what they expect to achieve.
0: Now, would that be similar to someone who has to have a very detailed job description and pretty much says this is what I do, and they don't ever do anything beyond what's in their job description? Is that kind of the same thing?
1: That, yes. Yeah. So that is a very good example of a box checker. And I try not to pick on too many people because we all probably know people like that. And as paralegal managers, we can all probably think of people who do that. But yeah, so the box checker sticks to what is... Written for them to do again in the job description. They stick to the job description and the job description only. And that doesn't always get the job done. Again, I don't recommend going outside of the box too far or going away from what is expected or what the job description says, but maybe connect to more than the job description.
0: So, number three is the pleaser. That doesn't seem to be such a bad trait to have in a work setting.
1: Yes. And it would seem as though having a bunch of pleasers or nice guys or nice girls in an office would not be a bad thing. And day to day, it is not. But not having anyone ever willing to speak up, you know, the pleasers want status quo. The pleaser wants things to just really stay the same. And someone has to be the one to speak up. Someone has to be the one to to step up or speak out. Maybe something's not right. Something can be done better. And and the pleaser for fear of confrontation or fear of not being liked or not being popular is not willing to do that. And that does not, not only does it not move a person's career forward, it it can really hold back the firm or client or whatever project or, or goal you're trying to achieve. And so the pleaser mindset can really be limiting for more than just than just you.
0: I could see that, especially, you know, if we're talking about paralegals and other legal support professionals who listen to this show. You know, I tell them a lot of times in a lot of the courses that I teach that they really need to be able to have those conversations that might be difficult when they know something's happening and the project is going to go south fast, right? But they're afraid to to step up and go tell the attorney and come up with a solution.
1: Exactly. That is a great example of a pleaser trying to keep status quo and something really going wrong because of that. And, and I find that if a pleaser really tries to just be honest, fair, candid, then any of the confrontation that, that we may be so afraid of, it really is not never as bad as the pleaser thinks it is. And it's usually appreciated and answered. You you don't want to leave things just undone just because you're afraid of shaking something up.
0: Okay. And so the fourth mindset for the lunch, the people attending the lunch is um the scatter brain. What does the scatterbrain look like?
1: Uh, We all know a scatterbrain. Uh, Scatterbrain is a yes person. My favorite way to tell if someone is a scatterbrain or help someone know if they're a scatterbrain is I tell them, look at your desk. I want to see your desk. I want to see maybe your inbox. Or maybe even if you're all, if you appear put together somewhere you have, maybe it's a closet. For me, it's a, a garage or a storage room. There's, there's a mess somewhere. <laughs> there. There is a lot more than you can take on, and it's hidden somewhere if it's not out in plain sight. So, a scatterbrain is just a yes person and takes on more than anyone is capable of, of taking on and actually completing anything at least. And that's dangerous, of course. And, and especially in the legal world, I see paralegals do it all the time uh, get a request, yes, yes, yes. And then Inevitably, maybe a deadline gets missed or uh, a communication may not get sent. And it really is because of having too many responsibilities on someone's plate. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a scatterbrain, if a scatterbrain learn the boundaries, learn what they could actually take on, learn to be communicative with everyone, it doesn't have to be as chaotic as uh and we probably all know the type but it's they seem to be very there's this whirlwind of activity and it doesn't have to be that way the scatterbrain can rein that in but it does require a little work uh maybe some delegation but definitely over communication and and not thinking that you are the only person that can take something off or has to do everything in most cases there's someone who's willing to help you take that work on. I've also seen that attorneys are willing to shift that responsibility to someone else if they know everything that is on your plate. And so the scatterbrain doesn't have to be as busy as we as we usually are.
0: Mm, that's great advice. All right, our next one at the lunch is the worrier. How does someone know they might be a worrier?
1: <laughs> Here's my favorite example of if you're a worrier. Uh, If you walk by maybe your boss's office or you walk by an office and you see that your boss is uh, in the the office with HR, so maybe the HR manager or the chief HR officer, and the door is closed, your first thought will tell me how much of a worrier you actually are. Because I know what I think. As a worrier, I am going to pack my bags before they can even tell me uh, that I'm out the door. <laughs> uh, now granted i have seen my boss talk to hr many times <laughs> and i'm still i'm still employed but warriors have a tendency to immediately go to the nuclear option whatever it may be in any scenario their mind starts racing and there's nothing again with most of these mindsets there's nothing inherently wrong with being able to foresee something that can go wrong and especially in paralegals that is a awesome skill to have. Very proactive. And, and attorneys really appreciate that. But it becomes limiting when you do nothing about it. You know, when when all you do is, is worry about it. My wife has a calendar on our wall and there is a quote. I saw it today. And so for the month of November, the quote is something like, it's not that there's anything wrong with worry. It's just that worrying gets nothing done. And that's exactly the situation here. Knowing what's going to happen is actually a skill, but doing nothing about it is what's limiting about being a worrier. In project management, so recommending how to get around that. In project management, there's you do a risk assessment, and you assess the likelihood of a risk, and then you assess the impact of that risk, and also understanding that not all risks are bad, a risk being anything that just goes against what's expected. Not all risks can have a bad outcome. So the first thing a worrier needs to understand is sometimes an error or a mistake can be a good thing. Um, Many inventions happen that way. But to understand that something with a high likelihood has a very low impact and the really high impact risks have a very low likelihood can really help a worrier appreciate just what it takes or what's needed to be done. To, to deal with those risks or know if it's even worth worrying about at all. I like that. Something else that helped me as a worrier, and I have a, a 10-year-old son who worries way more than I do. That it's amazing what a 10-year-old can come up with, <laughs> all risks beyond my comprehension. He's so creative with the things that he comes up with that are going to happen. Dr. Stephen Covey wrote a great book called the seven habits, seven habits of highly effective people. And in the book, he talks about we all have a circle of concern and a circle of influence or a circle of control. And if that circle of concern is larger than what we can actually influence or what we can control, it causes us to worry. And every time I start to worry about something or I feel a little anxious about something happening, I have to understand and look at the situation and think, Can I control any of this that I'm worrying about? Can I control or influence any of of the scenarios to make this not happen? And if I cannot, then I I try not to worry about it. I try to only control and only worry about what is in my circle of of control or, or influence. And that has helped me get past worry or not be so much of a worrier.
0: That's great advice. That that's really great advice. And I've read that book. I actually have a presentation called The Seven Habits of the Indispensable Paralegal that used to be seven habits of the highly effective paralegal. But then I started realizing that highly effective, you know, for a paralegal probably isn't shooting for the stars, you know. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, do do we just want to be effective or do we want to be great? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Covey, there are very few life scenarios that I can think that he does not cover in that book. It's a great book, and, and really, I recommend anyone to read that.
0: Yeah, I do too. All right, so our next one, the hater. So I thought the hater was going to be maybe someone who talks bad about the company or their other colleagues. You know, like the bad apple of the the group. But the hater in the book was something else. Can you explain the hater?
1: Well, the hater. Really, it just doesn't like to see anyone succeed. But the hater really has a scarcity mindset. The hater thinks that if someone else succeeds or another company succeeds, as long if 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 anyone but them, if anyone but the hater uh, has success, then that takes away from potential success for them. And they call that a scarcity mindset, and it is really limiting because it doesn't allow. First of all, it's just a negative mindset. It's just people don't want to be around that. But it also doesn't allow you to celebrate with others, learn from others' successes, really try to appreciate what others put in to w- win or succeed at whatever it is they were doing. Haters should understand or change their mindset to what's known as an abundance mindset, meaning. A win for you is a win for me, especially if we're in the same company. But even if if not, a win for a, a specific industry, whether, you know, whether it be your company or not, could potentially be, if used in the right way, can be a win for everyone. So to have a scarcity mindset and think that just because someone else has something means I will not have it or someone else succeeds at something means I will never succeed at that is very limiting because one you just give up if someone else <laughs> succeeds but also you will hold on to any success you have so any knowledge any experience anything that you could share that could really grow uh, your firm your your team even even you being a hater or having a scarcity mindset holds you back from sharing with with the world really
0: All right. So number seven is the entitled. Now that seems like it would be self-explanatory, but how is that in terms of mindsets?
1: Well, the entitled, first of all, one way to know if you're an entitled is if you join a new team or a new firm, or maybe in your existing firm, and you think that you could do a better job than anyone else on the team, uh, above or below you. You wonder why you're not the The CEO or the COO, and you already know as much as they do, and there's no reason you don't already have that title. If you have that thought, then you are definitely an entitled. But the entitled is limiting because thinking you already know more than everyone on the team and thinking you already know more than than those who have been around longer and have more experience limits your ability to learn from them. There's so much knowledge and so much opportunity that, and, and diversity of, of thought and experience on most teams that to not appreciate someone else's perspective or thoughts on a project or maybe the way something should go is very limiting because we should all be willing, you know, open and willing to hear other uh, ideas, perspectives, because that's how things really get done. That's how you really begin to achieve beyond the box as we get back to the box checker. But thinking that you know enough or more than anyone else is, is very limiting. And again, as you said, it, it's almost self-explanatory. <laughs> thinking you know everything can be limiting to uh, not just you, but your team, the firm, the client, and, and, and everyone.
0: All right. And last, but definitely not least, number eight, the person at the lunch is the perfectionist. So tell me why that should be such a bad thing if you're a perfectionist working in a law firm.
1: Yeah, you, we have to be careful with this one in a law firm because we don't like mistakes. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we we want accuracy. Um, and attorneys probably want perfection. Or not probably, in most cases, won't they want perfection. The problem is in the mindset of a perfectionist is that if something is not perfect, then I can't, then it's never done. And when in the case of, of the book, uh, the perfectionist is what's really holding back the launch of, of this product. And in many cases we sit around, I, for my, in this book, for instance, I published it and the day I, I have not read it since I published it because I don't, I know it's not perfect. I I knew when I when I published it that there were several opportunities for me to improve but if I sat on it as a perfectionist it never would have gotten published. And given the the point of the book and the theme <laughs> done was better than perfect. And so accuracy is good putting in as based on all the information we know putting in all, as much effort as we can to produce something or complete something i have to be careful saying produce on a legal podcast to complete something is enough done in many cases is better than perfect because perfectionism can not only hold us back but it can stop us it can cripple us from actually completing or doing anything so be very careful with trying to make something perfect because it would you just sit on it and then it never gets done
0: yeah, I could totally see that. And I, I can recognize myself with that. Sometimes I, uh, it takes way too long. I just won't release the course. I got to go back in. I got to listen to the audio one more time. I got to do this or that. And then and finally, I just say, yeah, it's it's got to go. It's done.
1: <laughs> That's it. And all of these mindsets are really just excuses for us not to achieve what we want to achieve, should achieve, really just happiness in general. And perfectionism is one of the worst because it's an easy one to excuse. Well, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And then it's it's irrelevant by the time you get back around to it. So um, I say, done is better than perfect in most cases.
0: Well, like I said, I loved that you know these eight mindsets were at this lunch and the story that you weaved into that. And so, if someone listening recognizes maybe they have one or two or like you said you recognize a lot of those mindsets in yourself and then you did some self-reflection but what would you recommend that someone do if they recognize that they have one or more of those mindsets
1: well first of all read the book and understand the mindsets and then And really just remind, become aware of them. The whole point of the book for me is to make people more aware of self-awareness. So just knowing you have them and understanding when you're not achieving something, if you're not doing something that you want to do, or maybe even if you're just unhappy, think about why. And if one of these mindsets are getting in the way, work through that. Don't, Don't let that hold you back. Just be aware that it exists. And get it out of the way. Get out of your own way.
0: I like that. All right. Another question for you. I'm just curious, right? You work at a big law firm. You manage their paralegals. You write this book that gets k- published. Did things change after they read your book? Like, for example, did you have some people walking down the hall saying, "Hey, I think I'm a box checker," or "I think I'm a pleaser"? Like. How was life after the book at the
1: firm? Well, not all paralegals even know I've written a book. I've I've, have tried to keep it somewhat quiet for that reason. Oops, too late. Too late now. (laughs) (laughs) the firm knows. I just it hasn't. But but I'll be. First of all, um, I've gotten a lot of attorney feedback and paralegal feedback, and it's all been all been great. But some of my favorite feedback is as they're reading it, and they get about halfway through, they email me or call me, or I run into them, and they say hey, is it possible to be more than just one of these? And I would say, just keep going. Let's talk when you're done. And it, it is some of one of my favorite questions. And yes, I, I have um, had several conversations about, is this me? <laughs> or is this this person? And yeah, so I had to be careful. Because uh, again, these, these mindsets that I, I learned in myself, as I was learning them, as I was experiencing that, I saw them in others, not just people I work with, not just people I manage, friends that I had, past co-workers that I, that I worked with. We are all, We all have some combination of this. But yes, it's been fun to put them into words and then have people want to talk to me about them.
0: All right. So one last question. Now, I know the topic of today's discussion is about these mindsets in your book, but I'm curious if you have any advice for someone listening who maybe has a book idea and might want to do, you know, maybe write a book on the side while they keep their day job.
1: Uh, I've been waiting th- on someone to ask me this. <laughs> I, I, I I love the process. And all I can say is keep going. Um, don't stop. Keep writing. First First piece of advice, keep what you delete. No, don't get rid of it because you're going to have another idea and it will come back. I deleted things and I wish I had them because my the, my idea for the next book were all things that I deleted to get this one done. So I've got to go back in my memory and do that. But my advice is just to keep doing it and and don't stop. Keep writing. It's frustrating. Um, I begged for help. I had writer friends who I said help me do this, and and they really and I'm glad they didn't because the way the way that the book went and the story. I think I could have only done. So work through it, take the time. It took me a year and a half. It took me 18 months to self publish a three chapter book. Um, So my only advice is to keep going and to seek out others who I'm happy to talk to anyone, but seek out others who have done it or are doing it because it, it is a fun process and I hope to do it again many times.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Dan. That was great advice. Keep, Keep doing it and don't delete, right? Or delete, but keep what you delete. Yeah,
1: don't don't leave it on the cutting room floor. Keep Put it somewhere else and uh, it, it will be very helpful to you.
0: All right, great. Well, that's wrapping it up today. We'll put a link to Dan's book in the show notes and a way to reach out to Dan if you want to connect with him. And I look forward to seeing you soon and talking with you soon, Dan.
1: Yes, Ann, thank you for the opportunity.
0: All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.